Hello and welcome to the latest edition to the United MEC's Leading Edge podcast series, Piloting Your Mind. I'm the United MEC spokesman, Captain James Belton. We will be talking with these two United Airlines pilots and their daughter about family challenges and resiliency in that context. We have a lot to talk about today, so let's get to it. Lindsay, thank you for joining us. I think you're up first. Why don't you start? Hello, everyone. I am the daughter of two United pilots, and my grandfather was also a United pilot. I was born into the United Airlines family, and I've never known anything other than the whirlwind life of an airline family. I grew up in an affluent home with two loving parents. Um, I went to good schools and had a family nearby all the time. My sister and I lived a very stable life, even when times were tougher with the airline. I was a typical kid, really. Uh, band and drama were my favorite classes. Riding horses is still my favorite thing to do. We traveled around the world, went to Disneyland several times. Adventuring was a part of my life. I knew that I was so lucky to have parents who wanted to show us the world and have fun doing it. And yet, I wasn't truly happy. I knew I was different. It was clear to me, to everyone, to my family. I was bullied for most of my childhood and called names. Um, I could make friends okay, uh, but my, fr my friendships didn't last long. I was diagnosed with ADHD in second grade, and I always felt like I was under a microscope. My teachers, counselors, doctors, they tried to help my attention in social challenges, but it got harder every year. Middle school was especially hard. When people began to branch out into social groups, I didn't. I just didn't fit in. I've had various forms of therapy and medication since I was eight. I was open to everything. And I just wanted relief from the chaos in my head. I started self-harming by cutting my arms, not showering, restricting my eating. I didn't want attention. I just wanted the pain to stop. No one knew how I was feeling inside. Not even my sister. I hid it very well. And then on January 3rd, when I was 13, I attempted suicide. Today, I am 19 years old. I survived, we survived, and we would like to share the story of our journey. Lindsay, thank you uh, so much for sharing that uh, incredible and powerful story. I, uh, that must be very difficult to share at times, um, and I, I do appreciate it. I'm really excited about today's talk because it opens up this difficult uh, and important discussion that often we keep inside and we don't share. So thank you very much. Sean, I think you wanted to jump in here. You know, Jim, I'm excited to talk about this today too. Um, it is a challenging conversation and I do admire Lindsay so much. The vulnerability to step into this space and share with, um, with us all we are here not just because of the family's challenges but we are also here because of family and friends who have gone through this in their own journeys and the endings have not been so successful and they these people who have gone through these challenges our friends our families our loved ones the stories we've heard we hear you we hear you all and we are sorry for the battle. We're sorry for the losses and we thank you. We thank you for, for your strength to make these kind of conversations possible today. Thank you, Lindsay, Eric and Missy, thank you. Thanks, Sean. Along with Lindsay, today we have her parents. Uh, that was Sean Handlovich. She's with the Human Factors Development Team. Eric and Missy are both pilots with United Airlines. So why don't you guys jump in and tell us a little bit about yourselves, Eric uh, and uh, Missy. Oh, sure. Hi, everyone. Um, I was very fortunate to have been married to my best friend for 27 years. And we have two strong and brave, as you can tell, very brave daughters. I was hired at United in 95. And at that time, I've flown 727, 737, and currently I'm a triple seven flight instructor in Denver. Um, and I do get to volunteer in several alpha committees, which keeps me pretty busy. 
Um, that's really all I want to say about myself since the story is really about, about the family. But thank you so much for letting us share our story. Indeed, yeah, I'd like to add my welcome to everyone and thank you for uh, joining us. Uh, I'm a 1999 hire, uh, which many of you know makes me a two-time furloughee here at United. Uh, I'm based here in Denver, live in Denver, but have also commuted to San Francisco and DCA at various times through my career. Uh, United, I've flown the 737, the Airbus, the 756, the 777, and just finished training going back to the uh, Airbus. So that's my story. Okay, great. I appreciate that. Lindsay, my father was an airline pilot, and uh, I knew what the challenges were of being in an airline family, but both of your parents are pilots. What was it like growing up with uh, both parents being pilots? Tell us a little bit about some of the unique challenges that your family faced in light of their careers. Well, as I mentioned before, it was so much fun. It still is so much fun. Uh, I have been humbled by the experience that I've had across the world. We've been to Africa, China, is all, all over. And I'm so humbled and thankful for the experiences that I've had. Um, and there's a lot of challenges being in an airline family. The varying structure within my, my home was very difficult. It was hard to have one parent home one night and the other parent home the other night. Their different parenting styles was really hard to adjust to uh, on a whim. And that was all I knew. I also needed to be quite accommodating with frequent schedule changes. Um, and to this day, I can never keep up with their complicated calendars. No doubt, uh, I'm, I'm sure that uh, is is one of the huge challenges in a family. Eric and Missy, juggling family life with two piloting careers has got to be stressful for, for everybody involved. Was there anything in particular that was especially stressful with your family and your airline lives? Well, certainly. Lindsay, Lindsay really nailed it with the stress of coordinating all of our schedules. That was constantly in the background. And we were very thankful to have a very tight family. We had extended family here in Denver, so that was really helpful. Um, and still, because we were extremely tight, it's it, even to this day, it's still hard uh, when Eric and I passed the like ships in the night. And we always tried to make sure that one of us was present for all the big activities, and sometimes it just wasn't possible. And you know, we all wanna be there for all of those activities. So that was always just kind of running, running in the background. Um, I think on top of that, the girls will agree to was just the added stress of being single parents when the other one was out flying. And I don't think we just appreciate how hard that was for both of the girls. I think it's safe to say that the observable signs of depression are unique to each individual. Eric, what behaviors did you notice that concerns you the most? Well, as you mentioned, you know, with depression and anxiety, they really don't present themselves the same in any two people. We'd watched Lindsay struggle for so many years, but really hadn't seen any obvious indications of depression. She always actually seemed fairly happy. And while there's some common indicators that fit the textbook definition, you know, many parents that we've talked to don't see those signs until it's too late, unfortunately. You know, when we ask them, they'll say, did you see anything? It's pretty typical for us to hear, no, we had no idea, or, you know, my child was happy, they're a star athlete. You know, they were good in school, lots of friends, et cetera. Like so many others, Lindsay was just a master of disguise, quite honestly. We didn't realize how much pain she was in until after we learned of her suicide attempt. She was just an expert at hiding that from us. Lindsay, uh, how did you go about hiding your depression? What were the things that you did? I was honestly pretty withdrawn my entire life. I didn't go out a lot. I didn't have many close friends. I didn't hang out with anybody. I was a fairly introverted child. So when I started developing depression, my symptoms didn't look too different from what I had done my entire life up until that point. And to be completely honest, I didn't see it in myself as well. I've been masking my feelings for my entire life. I physically masked my feelings by hiding my scars, pretending to eat. And emotionally, I masked my depression by mislabeling or misunderstanding what I was feeling. For those on the outside looking in, I lived a very fortunate life and had no reason to be depressed. And for that, there was a lot of guilt. I didn't want to shame my parents or disappoint them. I love them so much and I just couldn't do them that much harm. So I hid it or flat out ignored it 
and didn't put any effort into my therapy. There was a lot of pretending going on. And then when I did figure it out, there was an overwhelming fear of feeling like a burden and a disappointment. The shame I felt told me to desperately hide it in order to protect myself and others from my own pain. Lindsay, this is what we do. Um, withdrawing and having very few friends, it limits people from asking questions about why we are uh, pulling back. And as an adult now, people notice, you know, depression signs in me sometimes before I do because we try to mask and hide it. You talk about the shame, right, Lindsay? The shame, we don't wanna, you know, we don't want our families to feel ashamed of us. So that shame that we wanna protect our families from, we internalize it and we are so ashamed of it, um, which is another reason why to give Lindsay so much credit for stepping into this space so that we don't feel ashamed of ourselves, we don't feel ashamed to share about it, and we don't feel like we're imparting shame on our loved ones. It seems so very common that people with depression and pain seem to hide it so well. And Lindsay, you seem uh, like you did that. Eric and Missy, what did you see in Lindsay during that time? Well, when Lindsay wasn't being her typical upbeat, silly and happy outgoing self, she was actually starting to fail to thrive. Uh, she's a very super smart kiddo and, and all of a sudden her grades started to drop and she started hating going to school. She complained of not being able to sleep. Her anxiety was on the rise. And we, we started uh, noticing that she was lying about her, her online activity. She was lying to her friends, to strangers, and even to her therapist. Um, she appeared emotionally unstable. And, and in the home, it was like we were walking on eggshells because truthfully, conflict was scary. Um, we feared that she would self-harm to soothe herself. And when she started to withdraw even further into her computer and communicating with people online mostly, um, you know, we, we tried to talk about it. And that's when we, we heard the words that you never want to hear your kids say. She said that she was a failure. And that she could not see herself in the future. And that's when we knew she was in too deep. That sounds... Uh... That sounds terribly frightening. Uh, as a father, I, I, uh, I certainly don't envy you. At that point, what steps did you take? Well, you know, we did what, uh, what pilots do, right? We're, we're good at problem solvers. We, we, we started tackling the issues that we had in front of us. Within a few days, we'd put together a team of experts. We saw her primary care doctor. We found a child psychiatrist, found a new therapist. We told her counselor at school. And we asked her to watch out for her and look for concerning behavior. We basically attacked it with every resource we knew about at that time and hoped that we'd kind of figured it all out. And the reality is we hadn't. Uh, you know, and I'd like to add that what we did not do was open up to many people at that point. It only took a few responses like, yeah, this is such an epidemic among teens these days, or she's probably just looking for attention. Well, no one came out and directly blamed us, but there was certainly a feeling of judgment and discomfort talking about the subject at all. And, you know, as, as Eric said, we had a team of several experts working with our family. And at the same time, we felt so alone and isolated. Well, when we finally did open up to our friends and, and, and peers at work, we realized we weren't alone at all. There were a lot of other families just like us who had either gone through what we were experiencing or in fact, they were actually in the middle of their own crisis. And it was then that we found strength in that connection. And that, that was actually a major piece of our healing process. Eric, when, uh, when did you know that you needed to take action? What was that catalyst? And uh, what was it like specifically? What steps did you take? Well, we, kept, we started to trust our gut. Um, her therapist 
let us know that she wasn't really progressing anymore in her group therapy sessions. And they suggested to us that it might be time to consider some alternative and frankly more expensive therapy. And uh, with that, we started down an uncharted path. From that point, we leaned very heavily on the expert advice of an education consultant. And uh, that's a person who helped guide us through the alternative options and the pros and cons of each option available to us. We took our time with the final decision. You know, if you can imagine two pilots uh, going through this complicated process, add in a little bit of emotion. Um, and and we, took, we took our time coming up um, with what we thought was best, but we did what pilots do. We looked at all the alternatives, uh, weighing the pros, the cons, any threats involved, and uh, we made a decision. Um, it was agonizing to the experts, quite, quite honestly, as they watched us go through this process. Um, and at one point, they even thought that maybe we weren't quite ready uh, as we looked at it and went through all the different uh, ways that it might go. Um, that was a little frustrating for us. Uh, but in the end, we made the decision that to save her, we basically had to let her go, let go of our control so that she could get the treatment that she desperately needed. I can only imagine how difficult that must be. There's, there's, there's a, just fears that we have. And, uh, and this must be uh, just something that is a, truly a nightmare for, for parents. I, I, I feel for you. Lindsay, when you were going through this, what were your impressions? What were your thoughts? It was truly one of the hardest things that I have ever done. It was a massive wake-up call that if I didn't change now, I would probably be dead within a year. I was separated from my parents, who I love so much, and I had to do things both physically and emotionally that I had never thought that I could do. But I needed to fight this battle, and I didn't really have a choice but to win. This was not a short journey for me. It took hard work, a lot of time and tears for me to figure myself out. And in the end, I saw myself more clearly than any mirror could have ever shown me. And if I could add, um, it's, it's really important to, to recognize that Lindsay's no longer suffering from severe depression. Uh, we still have a family therapeutic program to help guide us through our challenges. We have a parent coach, Lindsay has a mentor who's also a licensed counselor. Uh, we, we attend family therapy sessions monthly. Um, it, it continues to be a work in progress. The work never stops. Can we talk a little bit more about the vulnerability piece? Because this seems to be somewhat of a growing topic these days. Eric, do you have thoughts on that? Sure. Um, vulnerability is huge. And uh, we're really extremely thankful to the other pilots and folks that, that we've uh, either worked with or known over the years who are willing to model up the skill for us. Um, it, it's really scary, you know, as you mentioned, Jim, to put yourself in a place where you might be judged, right? Um, it is very much not natural to talk about feelings, uh, especially I think for the pilot group, that's not something we're very good at generally. Um, and it's uncomfortable sharing your insecurities with others. You know, there are barriers that exist. It's natural to compare yourself to, to others and, and, and your kids to, to other folks' kids and feel shame uh, with, with your situation, perhaps. Um, it made us stronger to know that we weren't alone. And, you know, we felt supported by this club of sorts, if you will. Um, we call it our tribe. We are not alone. And, and to, to the viewers, or the listeners, I should say, out there, um, they're not alone either. When you're vulnerable and you share your story, you'll find that your tribe gets bigger every day and it is much bigger than you might realize. Uh, most of our pilots are experiencing extraordinary stressors right now uh, in the workplace and in their home. Uh, how would you guys best describe uh, how you navigated your stress? Is there anything you can share that might help our pilots? Well, sure. I'd love to say that we had one silver bullet that took away the stress. And of course, that is different for everyone. Um, Eric was really good at redirecting his stress into something productive, like creating his presentations for work. 
Um, he, he likes to call it pressing the pause button, and I love that. Um, I wish I were better at that at times. My personal favorite stress release was talking with my best friend or taking a walk with the dog. Just breathing that fresh air always helps me clear my thoughts. I, I can feel refreshed and more willing to readdress whatever it was that was stressing uh, with a more willing and open mind. And, and stress can be especially hard on relationships. And we're actually really good about talking it out and listening to each other. Uh, we've, we've learned to, to empathize and learn that when we move through the stress, uh, rather than fight it with clenched fists. Stress can be especially hard on relationships. And we actually were really good at talking it out, listening to each other, empathizing. And we learned that we could move through the stress rather than fighting it with clenched fists. Even though we've gotten better at it, moving through the stress is still, is still pretty hard. It's basically learning how to accept what is, not the way you wish things were. Um, but you know, through it all, being able to share your struggles and fears and worries with someone who you trust, who you know won't judge you, uh, that's really important. And I have to say, we, we cried quite a bit. Yeah, I agree. Letting go of things that are not in your control can really help uh, manage stress and anxiety. It slows everything down and turns it inward, thinking about what you, yourself, can actually control and releasing that stress. Rather than only thinking in your emotional mind, it helps activate your rational mind as well. So you can use both of them. I would love to add one of my favorites, which is radical acceptance. This means accepting reality all the way with your mind, heart, and body, no matter what it is, how hurtful it may be, accepting that it is true and real. It helps me ride the wave with all of its ups and downs and everything. I just, I had to say that your radical acceptance that you shared, it taught me so much. I think I, I, that was the biggest thing that I learned because when we tend to be in this state of panic and stress, um, we're looking to make that stop. And so we identify something that's making us unhappy and it's the thing that we don't have any control over. So if I could just get this thing that's making me so unhappy under control um, and hanging on with the clenched fist, uh, Missy, that you talked about and um, having just the the radical accept acceptance that you talk about, um, Lindsay, where we just have to accept what it is, what I can change and what I can't change. Um, and when you're super emotional, it's hard to not um, respond emotionally. Um, but that being present in your all the way, like you said, mind, heart and body, just be where you are being present. Thank you so much for sharing and and it's great that you that you did share that story with us and how you got to this point. What I think our listeners may be interested in is telling us about the skills that you learned along the way and how that might help them out. Eric, you want to start on that? Yeah, of course. Um, honestly, we've learned so much um, through our therapy uh, that have helped helped all of us in the house um, in various aspects of our lives. In fact, it, it's helped um, with communication in the cockpit, quite honestly. And, and all of that in some could be a podcast in and of itself. Um, the, the biggest thing I think I'd like to talk about um, is that we've truly leaned into our listening skills. It's been our foundation for so many others. You know, we all know that communication is a two-way street, but we often think of it as how I can communicate better in the delivery, if you will. And it's really just as important to know how I can listen better with effective listening comes validation, and that's where we've learned to respond with empathy instead of judgment. Seeing things from another perspective and realizing that both perspectives can be true at the same time, they call that a dialectic, has been a big game changer for us. Right, yeah, and you know, it, it takes a lot of practice. Uh, it's certainly not one and done stuff, and one thing that we do as a family that helps us practice all of these skills um, has been starting a ritual of family check-ins. Um, 
So we use check-ins as a connection tool and it really works. Uh, whether sometimes we're together or apart, uh, more often when something is on our mind or we notice something's going on with somebody else, we'll say, hey, do we need a family check-in or I'd like to check in, even when nothing is going on. And that gives us a chance as a family to learn something new about each other. Um, it takes a lot of work for us just to stop and listen and try not to solve each other's problems. Sometimes all we need to do is just talk and to be heard. Uh, of course, it doesn't always go the way we think it might, and that's okay, because we've learned to improvise. Uh, it's like a crew debrief. I love the family debrief. Um, obviously, for pilots, uh, we, we push the debriefing skills. We have our, our debrief cards, and uh, I love that you guys do that at home. You know, there's other areas of, um, of skills that we can work on that you do work on as pilots, right? Um, active listening, be attentive, put those cell phones away and make some eye contact. Um, the avoiding interrupting. We're always, what I refer to, always already listening. So we think we know what the person's going to say and we jump in and we don't let them finish. Um, that whole idea of really being present and let somebody finish what they need to say, especially when um, being heard is one of the things that somebody really feels like they're missing out on when they don't feel understood. It's because I don't feel heard. Uh, reflective listening, you know, um, Lindsay, I don't know about for you, but you know, sometimes I just need to say what I heard back to you. Um, and then likewise, for people to say it back to me, I hear you, this is what I hear. Making sure that that active, that you're really engaged in a conversation, not just sharing words back and forth. Being curious even, just leaning in to hear what they're saying or anyone saying, be curious about the point. Where are they going with this? And that you're along for, as Lindsay alluded to earlier, this ride of the highs and lows. Be curious because on the other side of that is where we really can contribute. Validating feelings doesn't mean telling someone that they're wrong. Your life is good, Lindsay. You get to travel the world, Lindsay. All of this, um, and then on top of it, you're sad. Um, some people don't understand that it's not life that we're sad about. The sadness is not always identifiable. So to tell us we're wrong or that we shouldn't feel this way, validate the feelings. It sucks. It just sucks. Show some empathy. Step into the shoes. Don't try to take them out of their shoes. Step in with, you know, and just see it from that side. Being part of where they're at, not taking us out of where we are. Scary to be there, I promise. It is scary and uncomfortable, but you can't get us out. We've got to get out on our own, but you can do it with us. Now, um, you, you mentioned active listening, empathy, and uh, Sean, you, you emphasized validation. I think, uh, Lily, that your parents would agree that uh, validation is important, but why, why would you think that validation is so important? Telling me you understand how I feel connects us. I no longer feel alone. Sometimes my ultimate need is to be understood and heard. And validation is not about fixing my feelings, just like Sean said. It's even if it's your instincts, feelings cannot be fixed. They are real and important. Telling someone they shouldn't feel the way that they do shows your child or that other person that not only do you just not get it, you end, you end up feeling bad for feeling the way that you do. And in the end, they'll stop sharing. Of course, that is the last thing that you want. It's the last thing you want, and it's the last thing we want. We really want to be heard. We want to be understood. And this is a huge challenge right now with COVID and the pandemic and, and all of the other things that we're being impacted by um, as a society, really as a, as a 
as a planet right now. Um, we want to avoid these things that are uncomfortable, um, but embracing the conversations, embracing these facts, our radical acceptance, this is where we are. We have these things to deal with. Embracing the reality, not alone, but with others, when we can hear each other and have these conversations. Embracing that it sucks, sharing that. And then Lindsay and I get to say, let's get back into reality. Let's check our perspective. Let's get present. Um, helping each other get with what it is, accepting it for what it is, using these tools. I've learned so much from pilots on, you know, the, the ability to be present, the value of being present and, and the dangers of ruminating, ruminating, ruminating. And we just, we need each other. Right now, we really need each other. We need to talk about the uncomfortable things, pandemic, mental health, whatever it is. We cannot do it alone. Whatever it is that sucks right now, find somebody that you can help and that can help you. Sean, it's easy to see how resilient this family is just in the short mm -hmm. period of time that I've spent with them. So let's talk about some of that resilience training that's being used at our training center specifically for our pilots and their families. Yeah, right. So when we're working in the training center as a group, we really use resilience training and the ability to be present as a way for, this is a, um, a necessity for you, whether you're in the flight deck or um, going through a, um, a standard uh, QC event. But it's not just, this is a way of life being present, being present at the table, being present at the conversations that we have. So when we're working with our pilots, it's recognizing what we're hanging on to, right? What thoughts are we hanging on to? When you're in the flight deck and you are hanging on to what happened two seconds ago, you are not present to take care of what's now and you're not prepared to take care of what's next. Um, and they've taken the time to get present, letting go of what was the battle and getting present with what is right now. So they're, they're present for what's next. For our pilots to have these skills, when you're in a training event and you are giving, given a standard procedure to do um, and you miss it, you all know when you miss it, you do. And you go back to what happened. Now you're a second in the past. What I should have done, what I could have done, why didn't I do? Now you're five seconds in the past, training goes on. There's a risk there that you're not ready for what's gonna happen next. And when your instructor throws what's next, and now you're 10 seconds in the past trying to fix what was, you're gonna perpetuate the mistakes and the shame and the disappointment that is the same thing that someone struggles with with depression. You are going to stay in that ruminating place of, I'm doing it wrong, I'm doing it wrong, embarrassment, disappointment, and how do you mitigate that? That radical acceptance, I love that so much, but just being present, finding your breath. A few weeks ago, we talked about breath work. Finding your breath, getting present. What is, what do you feel? What do you observe? Um, we use in the CRM uh, guide, you're going to find that acronym, FOCUS. F is for what do you feel? I have not met a pilot yet that I could not say to them, what does that control stick feel like in your hand? Sitting here with nothing in front of you, you all know what that feels like. When you're in the flight deck, when you're in the simulator, feel it. Get yourself present. What do you feel? O was for observe your breath. We teach them how to be present. Notice your breath. Everybody's breath is unique. Controlling that breath, that's C. So get in control of your breath. That grounds you in the moment. It's connecting your brain and your breath, your body together. U is for unite. What are we talking about? You're not alone. You're not alone in the flight deck, in the simulator. You unite with your flight partner. Even if it's by the way, you know, we look at each other and we can unite just by looking at each other. You're not alone. Speak, S. S is for speaking, speaking up. What do you see? 
what's in front of you at this moment. I work with uh, first responders and they talked about, um, they've told me that when they come to an event and they ask you for dates and times and they do wanna make sure that you're cognitively aware, but there's also something about the brain that it cannot function from that emotional place and from a factual place. So finding numbers, I, I recommend to the pilots all the time, speak the speed, speak your altitude. Those are numbers that nobody can argue with because that's what you see. But what a great cross-check tech at the same time, right? That what you see that you're speaking brings you not only into the moment, but it's also just a good monitored cross-check. So these are the tools that the family has incorporated into their life on a regular basis, that we use the same type of skills, we just talk about it differently for our pilots. And like you in training, and like Missy has alluded to a couple different times, it's not a one and done. You didn't go learn how to fly, and now you're done. You go back for recurrent. You're constantly preparing before your flights. And with COVID and the risks right now of sitting back and either getting complacent, of feeling sorry for ourselves and just settling in, being angry at everything because you really don't have one thing to be angry about, radical acceptance. This is what it is, people. And it does suck. And we do have to talk about it. Get present. In this moment, the only, the only thing you have control of is this moment now. And that's what we teach our pilots. Lindsay, what would you say is, uh, is one of the most useful tools that, uh, that you use? A tool that I use every single day is called Five Senses. Um, so you can choose whichever one number you want to do for each one, but you, five things you see, four things you, four things you hear, <laughs> things you, uh, taste, and, and so on and on. So it really helps you get in the moment through your senses, through what is around you, through what you can do and what you can see. Yeah, observing what you feel, like you were saying, Lindsay, those five senses. What do I see? What do I hear? What do I smell, taste? And what do I feel, touch? See, hear, smell, taste, touch in this moment, right now. And every moment is the next moment. It's a brand new moment. But like um, Lindsay said, those are great grounding skills, just getting yourself into the moment by one of those five skills, great grounding skills, and then the breath work as well to help, like you said, slow you down a little bit. Eric and Missy, uh, given what you have shared with us, is there anything that you would do differently the next time around? Yeah. Looking back, um, bottom line, we, we'd take decisive action sooner. Um, before we kind of made that giant leap um, and sent her uh, outside the home, we, we honestly were in crisis mode more than we were calm. And because of that, it was really hard in that moment to see very clearly. Um, we were scared. And so all of our actions at that point were, were taken from a place of fear. Uh, in addition, in that time, in the, in the length of time it took us to kind of make that decision, um, habit patterns were being set and they weren't healthy ones. And the more, the further we got along that process, the harder those were to unlearn. Um, you know, it got to the point where we were very afraid for her life. And the truth is that's really late in the game to be making those, those decisions. That's something we should have started on much earlier. There's a lot that I would love to go back and give another shot. Um, and I also know that those lessons were the ones that I needed to learn in my own time, or they would have not stuck. I didn't share my struggles because I didn't want to make my parents sad. I was protecting them just as much as they protected me. I wish I would have been more vulnerable and shared the real me. Sharing was scary though, not only because I didn't know how they'd react, but also because I'd have to see how truly lost that I'd become. Admitting hopelessness is like admitting complete defeat. I didn't want to be hopeless. I just didn't know hope was possible. And I wish I put my heart and soul into therapy sooner and accepted 
that our family as a whole needed therapy together. I thought that I could do it on my own. And I had that, that mentality of, I don't need the help. Do I actually need the help or is it just a want? And, and, but the truth was, I couldn't do it alone. Yeah, we do. Um, it, the truth is, one moment with mental health, one moment you've got your mask on and you're, you're armored up and you actually feel braver behind the mask and the illusions. But the truth is, it's still there. And if there's any thought from you personally or any concern for a family member that there is something, then that's something. And that's the time to have the conversation. I get pretty emotional about this, Jim, because there's so much still, still so much shame in talking about this. And no matter how many brain experts out there tell us time and time again that the physical pain is registered in a part of the brain, it's the same place as the emotional pain is registered. But unfortunately, when um, we all pass and they get in there and they took a look, look at us, they can't find pain. It's nowhere located in the body. It's nowhere in there. It's in us viscerally. I'm, I want the world to know that this is not easy and that we are not alone, and that there are so many people out there that still have their masks on, and so many people that are still ashamed. And because it is very uncomfortable, people don't wanna talk about it. They don't want to, and we have to. If we can talk about the changes in your diet to um, manage your diabetes or the exercise you need to do for your um, heart diseases or all these things that we're willing to talk about having the flu <laughs> suicide it it's real it's not going to go away it's not just a pandemic it's not new it's relevant every day one thing I want to point out in September is Suicide Awareness Month. And um, we really wanted to get this message out there for that purpose. And I really want everybody to be um, aware of that. But one thing I think is really important to say here today is that the holidays and the first part of the year, we all know, is a very challenging time. And when um, we hear of people struggling, this seems to be the time that you're gonna hear it most. And that goes to the conversation that we had earlier of um, this is a great time of year and we should be celebrating and we should be happy and we should be excited. And I'm broken because I'm not. Um, it's also hard because this is also a time when we reflect on things that are not in our lives anymore. We've had losses, all of us, and holidays are a time when those people were there before and they're not there now. It's a time that we look at what we have and we are again judging and we're so hard on ourselves and instead of that radical acceptance that I am worthy, I am good enough right now. The first of the year, people in their resolutions, it's a time when when we also do some self-reflecting, am I still worthy? Am I good enough? And I need somebody to talk to sometimes that reminds us, yes, you are worthy. Yes, it was a really good year. And yes, there will be another really good year. Um, struggling with mental health doesn't make you broken. It doesn't make you contagious. It doesn't make you wrong. It just makes us human. And we all have bad days. Every single one of us has a bad day. 
just some are worse. Some of us have a harder time than others. Some of you are really, really good at flying. I would not be good at flying. We all have our strengths and we all have our battles. And I'm not different because I struggle with having hard days. Lindsay is not different because she struggled from the time that she was eight years old to fit in. There, we all struggle at some point in our life. It's how we struggle. And nobody should struggle alone, no matter what you're struggling with. And I just want to say thank you again for stepping into this space. You're so brave. You're so amazing. You're so bold. And I know so many people are going to benefit from who you are and what you have brought here. Thank you. And Jim, thank you for making this space and this conversation possible um, and allowing Lindsay and myself and Eric and Missy to be heard. Thank you for that. Well, thank you, Sean. Uh, I know that that, uh, that being worthy of connection and acceptance will resonate well with our listeners. One thing that I do want to mention uh, in this time of a pandemic, when we're all wearing a mask, it may be a little bit tough for our mental health experts to, to delve into wearing that mask of uh, over top of your emotions and your feelings as opposed to that mask that we're wearing to save our lives. Uh, there is a, a parallel there, but I'm probably not the one to talk about that, and we can cover that later. But I did want to mention that. As we wrap up our podcast today, what do you want our listeners to remember the most? First of all, I'd say trust your instincts. You know, you know your child very well. Um, if things don't seem right, they probably aren't. Um, second, uh, I think you've heard this recurring theme throughout our podcast today, is it takes a lot of courage to be vulnerable about these issues and ask for help. You can't do this alone. You just cannot. Um, that is very much against a pilot kind of can-do mentality. The truth is, is we, you, all of us need to get professional expert help to deal with these issues. You're not alone. You'll find um, as you become more comfortable with these issues that your tribe, as we call it, is much bigger than you know. Um, there are far more people out there who have shared a similar path and are willing to walk beside you and share their journeys and, and help bring you up and give you strength. Um, you know, Sean mentioned it. There's, there's, we, we don't think twice about asking a doctor about medical issues, but, but this is not something that we're comfortable with talking about. And I understand that. Um, when it comes to the skills that you'll learn, once again, Sean alluded to this and Missy as well. It's not a one and done. These are things you need to practice. And it's awkward at first, I'll be honest. <laughs> um, it's kind of like watching your kid ride a bike for the first time. <laughs> you know, they're really wobbly and all. And eventually, you know, you get better at those things and they become second nature. But it is something that you just have to keep working on. And they're perishable. If you don't, they'll go away. Do the work. It's, it isn't easy. It takes a lot of courage to dig deep and be vulnerable with yourself. You know, um, none of us are perfect. We all have our strengths and, and, and weaknesses. Um, it, it, it's, it takes courage to dig deep and, and work on those. It can be scary and it's exhausting and messy. And in the end, it is absolutely 100% worth every second you put into it. Thanks, Eric. I couldn't, I can't really add much to that. He's so eloquent. <laughs> um, like if, you, if you've made it to the end of this podcast, you've learned that our family journey was not an overnight success. We sometimes were, were honestly just going one day at a time and sometimes one just moment at a time. And where we are now is the sum of years of fear and pain and tears and tough conversations and a lot of compassion. Um, not only for Lindsay and her struggles as we learn to understand her, but also compassion for ourselves. Um, from personal experience, I know it's, it's really easy to slip into a place of self-blame when you see your precious child or your family hurting so much. Eric and I spent so many sleepless nights replaying all the mistakes we thought we'd made along the way. We blamed ourselves for where we were, 
And nothing, nothing good comes from that at all. It's just like, there's no perfect flight or check ride. Well, I'm never going to be a perfect parent, daughter, wife, or friend. And we're very thankful that a therapist told us once, um, each one of us is doing the best we can and we can still do better. Which really resonates with us. We started to see Lindsay's behaviors as a way she was trying to solve her problems. The best she could do in that moment is what she had. And it also allows us the space for shame-free parenting as we, as Eric said, imperfectly worked our way through the challenges we'd never faced before. So when you hear yourself saying that you are the worst parent or that you're struggling to find clarity why your child is acting the way they are, just remember, we're all doing the best we can and we can do better and we don't have to do it alone. Thank you, Missy, and uh, thank you, Eric. Um, that journey that you went through, I can only imagine how difficult it, it must have been. It, uh, it certainly is a powerful family story of survival, uh, the testimony you gave, but it's well worth it, um, so well worth it especially because we get to hear Lindsay. So Lindsay, what are some of the final words that you would leave our listeners with? I live in a future that I never thought would happen. And that's true. I am incredibly thankful for the progress that my family has made over time and the experience that I've had, which have all made me who I am today. And at the same time, I would never, ever wish it on anybody, ever. I will leave you with this. Everyone struggles from time to time and some struggles can challenge us to our core. I don't know where I would be right now without the support I received when I, needed, when I needed it the most. What I do know is that I am alive today because I was not alone. And the people who had my back proved to me that I was not alone. My parents were not alone. No one needs to struggle alone. Find your source of support. It might be a coach, a mentor, a best friend, therapist, support group, whatever it is, we are stronger when we are connected. If sharing our story reaches a single family, only one, and it helps someone just even a tiny little bit, it's worth it. Well, I couldn't agree more. This certainly was a powerful episode. We very much appreciate our guest. Thank you for sharing your story today. Sean? We appreciate you stopping by and we appreciate your words and your efforts. For those of you listening, thank you for tuning in to the United MEC Leading Edge podcast, Piloting Your Mind series. On behalf of the United MEC and all of our ALPA volunteers, fly safe and stay healthy. I'm Captain James Belton.